Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we're talking in-game apps and mods. To do that, we have Overwolf CEO Yuri Marchand. Overwolf is a guild for in-game creators that gives them tools to create, grow, and monetize in-game apps and mods. Overwolf provides a framework for creators to build out apps with the gaming community in mind. Overwolf has also recently acquired CurseForge from Twitch, expanding the company's reach from in-game apps into those mods. Mods have been the earliest stages of almost every major esports genre, Battle Royale, to Auto Battler, to Once Upon a Time, MOBA. Yuri, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Really excited to talk with him because he's also working on a fund, the Overwolf Fund, in partnership with Intel. It's a $7 million fund that was created to give developers the money they need to build out apps and games on the Overwolf platform. Later this month, Intel will be launching a gaming app that was built with the help of Overwolf's tech stack. What would have traditionally taken 10 engineers and up to a year to develop was done with two engineers in just three months. Now, joining Yuri on this podcast is Steve Augustine, Director of Software Marketing and Experiences with Intel. Steve, thanks for coming on as well. Thanks a lot, Mitch. Yuri, I want to start with you and then jump over to Steve. What was the goal behind the Overwolf Fund? So our goal was to help uh, creators who might not have the resources to build either apps or mods do that with more certainty. We think that if you want to make a living off of building an app for gamers or creating a mod, up until today, this was not a viable option. So there weren't really a lot of people making a living out of uh, apps and mods, kind of like um, six or seven years ago, there weren't a lot of YouTubers making a living off of YouTube. And we thought that um, as we're getting into an era in which this becomes a legitimate profession, the fund could be really helpful for those creators who are just starting, who might have their day jobs and aren't happy with uh, taking the risk of doing this pivot in their lives. We think that the fund provides them that bridge to take their idea, turn it into a product, and then do something that actually benefits them, helps them you know, make a living um, out of creating something for gamers. So this is the original goal of the fund. Yeah, everyone who's played a lot of video games has probably used some sort of in-game app to supplement their experience, especially if you're playing with any competitive mindset uh, as you approach a game. Those in-game mm -hmm. apps are so crucial in you know, quantifying your results, making sure you're improving along with it. I feel like everyone's used one at, at some point. For me, it's Hearth Arena and Hearthstone. Uh, ages and ages just using that, going over the data, making sure I was uh, successful or playing as best I could. Steve, from your perspective, why was this something that Intel wanted to get involved with? So uh, Intel, and especially the area that I focus on, is the software developer ecosystem. So anything that makes developing great experiences for consumers on the PC platform easier to do is uh, really interesting to us in a broad sense. Uh, gaming obviously is a really important uh, uh, segment for Intel. It's a place where we have been for a long time. We kind of uh, help be the, the beating heart, the pulse of innovation in that space, especially on PC. And so working with um, uh, Overwolf to help create great experiences and make those uh, experiences accessible to developers and consumers is uh, is important for us. Certainly. I, I think it's a really great thing to have. As, uh, as Yuri mentioned, the mods and 
these these games people use them all the time but the developers aren't really getting compensated necessarily for their hard work uh sometimes they've been able to hit it big but not always the fun has been up for about two years now what are some of the success stories that have come out with it yuri do you have one uh, particular project that's come out of the fun that you've been really proud of so i think um there are a few that i'm very happy with um if I take one example, I'd probably choose Firestone. So you mentioned Hearth Arena for Hearthstone. And Firestone is an example to an extension for Hearthstone that was built by a single developer that is really passionate about the game, really committed to developing a high-quality experience for consumers. And the traction that we've seen with the app recently and the reviews that we're getting from consumers indicate that it's definitely on the right way and it's just being really nice to see the journey that sebastian the creator has gone through in the past two years of building the app kind of from an idea to a first prototype to uh let's start over again to something that is a lot more robust to where firestone is today so i think that's a great example to how the fund could be meaningful for a creator that wants to pursue their dreams yeah i was uh researching this podcast and I was going through it. So the first thing I did on Overwolf was, you know, I've been on the site plenty in the past using Hearth Arena and was searched for Hearthstone and saw Firestone. And I had never come across it before. And I actually think it's the exact tool I need to get through my collection. It's been mm-hmm. way too long. And now that I'm playing Battlegrounds full time, I have no idea what new cards I need to be getting. I don't know how to right. organize or sort my collection. And it's become a daunting task. And I saw Firestone. I was like, I think this is the app I actually need really badly right now. So I'm going to check it out after we finish recording this podcast and yep. get it all connected. Steve, That's how really about cool. from your side? Anything that uh, sticks out to you from the fund? I'm really super excited about the things that help us uh, reach lots of gamers and kind of spread across the ecosystem of gaming. You know, there's so many games out there. It's great to see things go super deep like Hearth Arena, uh, where you can really kind of maximize your experience around a game. But I also like the the newer apps that we're working with partners around that kind of spread across the ecosystem. There's one called Fuse that we're working with that I um, uh, really uh, think it's super cool. It's about, you know, sharing social experiences in gaming. And I think that's really interesting to me. Definitely. Anything that shares those clips that uh, is great to integrate into social media, integrate into all these various online communities we're at. Uh, I love apps like that as well. So I want to talk a little bit about Intel's app. So I haven't learned that much about it. I know it's an Intel gaming app using Overwolf tech. And it took two engineers just three months to develop. But I really want to hammer in on that because that's what uh, you guys said, 10 engineers up to a year. With this tech, it was done with two engineers in three months. What's so unique, Stephen, about this tech that it could cut down on both the engineers and the time needed to develop it? Well, it's a it's a really super powerful and accessible framework. Um, and there's a ton of things that uh, Yuri's team takes off your plate so that you don't have to worry about them. And I think that's the main thing. Um, uh, you know, if you've been doing web development, you can basically develop an Overwolf app. Interesting. Is that kind of the goal, Yuri, is that, hey, okay, there's a lot of other things that go into building an app. We want to just hammer it right down to the code and we'll take care of everything else that goes around it. Exactly. We are working very, very hard so that you as a creator won't need to work that hard in building your app. So if you think about game engines, right, um, 
the world has really changed and now the two dominant engines are um, Unreal and Unity. And to, to the point that, you know, starting a game, building your own engine doesn't seem like the smartest move, really depending on your needs. And some companies definitely still do that. But if you're starting off, you're probably interested in um, hitting something that's already out there and that's already had proven its value. We want to do the exact same thing for apps and mods. Um, so, you know, to be sort of the standard for building apps because all those because of all those barriers that we're removing. Definitely. You always talk about how startups are always framed around how the, the CEO, the founder has to wear so many different hats. They have to be in charge of all these different things. But it's important to understand that, hey, we have strikes and we have weaknesses. You know, there's mm-hmm. I could never do any coding, but I could probably do some marketing and, and PR stuff. And I feel like it's really helpful to have something where it's like, okay, here's all we need from you. And it fits your direct strengths. You don't mm-hmm. have to do all the things you don't feel comfortable with because it's you know, maybe you do need to wear all those hats, but it's way better if you don't have to and you have somebody else who could take some of them off. Mm-hmm. Let's widen the scope a little bit. We've talked about some of these in-game apps, these things that help gamers really get the best experience out of the games, especially for competitive games. I think they're very common. If Anytime you want a training pack, you want to measure your MMR, you want to just understand what you're doing right and doing wrong. And it's true about every esport I've ever gotten serious about. I've started to look for these apps. What role do you think these supporting apps play, especially as the amateur and lower levels of esports? We recently launched a college esports podcast. As we have more and more mm-hmm. open ecosystem and more ways for uh, more people focusing on ways to get new pros involved, how do these supporting apps play a role in the greater esports ecosystem from your perspective, Yuri? So, so I think um, apps solve a few problems that exist almost by nature in um, esports. The first part is onboarding and just staying up to date. If you're playing a game like uh, Teamfight Tactics, for example, and if you're playing seriously and you want to stay um, updated with the changes, the meta, patch updates, formations, synergies, and all those things, it's a pretty hard exercise for a person who probably has a day job, might have a family, and doesn't have a ton of time to invest, but when they play, they want to enjoy their gameplay, and ideally, they want to win. Playing a game like this, if you have no clue of what happened in the previous patch, or you're not aware of the good synergies, could be quite frustrating. (laughs) So you might end up going somewhere else or just not playing that game, and I think what apps do is to provide you with that comfort so that the information that you might be missing as you're starting to play the game is more accessible for you so that you can make better decisions as a gamer and be more competitive with people who might be grinding the day 10 hours a day, grinding the game 10 hours a day. So I think uh, onboarding, staying up to date, those are all key um, factors that are uh, why those apps are meaningful for players. Make sense? So far, so good? Yeah, absolutely. I had uh, Firebat on this podcast just last week. Firebat yeah. is the first Hearthstone world champion, a, mm-hmm. you know, very knowledgeable man about the game of Hearthstone. And we were talking about it. I've played who knows how many hours. Just 
I've got thousands and thousands of thousands of games played, but yeah. I haven't played standard in multiple expansions. We were talking about it. He's talking about all these new cars. He's doing things. And I'm like, well, I've put thousands of hours in this game and I'm lost hearing him talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of crazy to me. So I, those sort of up to date things are so crucial when you have so much other stuff going on, you can't be in tune with every single aspect of a game. I think that's, totally crucial and again to your point you can't everybody can't be 16 and just has 10 hours a day uh to grind Fortnite every day you got to have some some other types of apps that might make up for that and when you have a service like that sorry go ahead team well i was gonna say one thing you shouldn't forget about is that from the perspective of the game developer themselves too Mm -hmm. right anything that makes the game more accessible to the consumer to the community uh, uh around it is really critical and you know this ecosystem is important for the developer themselves because it helps uh, make the games more approachable. You can go really super deep with those people who are going to play those 10 hours a week, but you're also going to be able to get that person up to speed quick so they can go play and play the you know two hours they're going to play on the weekend. Absolutely. Yuri, I know that's something that Overwolf's really focused on. Let's talk about that relationship between the major developer and the smaller one who's creating in-game apps around the main game. What is that relationship like right now and how is overwolf working to uh, support it maybe i don't want to say necessarily change it but evolve it Mm -hmm. so at overwolf uh we're building the guild for in-game creators it means that as an in-game creator we're providing you everything that you need to turn your creation into something significant in your life and other people's lives gamers A part of that is the relationship with the game developer. At the end of the day, they own the game, they own the IP, and everything we do, or everything that our partners do, we want to make sure we want to make sure that that's aligned with their policies and how they're looking at the world. The way we currently work with uh, big studios, big game developers, for example, Riot Games, is to talk with them every now and then. So it could be once a month, once in two months. Whenever someone wants to create something that is new, if we're already familiar with the concept, then great. We know that this is something that the world has seen and Riot is okay with it, so we'll allow it. But if there's a new thing and we have a question mark whether Riot Games would feel that it's good for the game or bad for the game, we would just send them an email or have a call, show them some screenshots of how the experience is going to, walk, is going to look like, and they would tell us whether that's cool or not. We believe that for this ecosystem and for this guild to be successful, we need to satisfy gamers, game developers, and creators alike. So everything that kind of meets the needs of these three entities works. But if you hurt one, it's not going to work. So um, it's our job and our responsibility to make sure that everything that we publish is kosher. Makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to anger the game developers. They uh, they control a lot in in our world we operate in. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, how about your perspective as someone who's worked in software for Intel for quite a long time? What is that relationship like from your perspective between the indie developers and uh, the major corporations? Be those a game developer, be those a company like Intel. How does that relationship work, and how have you seen it change over the years? Well, I mean. 
so the gaming ecosystem has drastically changed over probably the past eight to 10 years uh, with the advent of entertainment as a service, right? You know, you've gone from monthly subscriptions to really kind of creating a live service type of experience for a lot of games. And any game that's like that has to realize uh, that the players aren't going to only play your game. They're going to go off and they're going to do other things. So anything that makes the game more accessible, uh, helps build a community around the game, uh, at least the developers that I see that are smart are the ones that understand that and they go foster it. And they do a really good job of ensuring that the ecosystem around them is really, really healthy because that's the way you're going to drive engagement. That's the way you're going to uh, get the players back in um, uh, and playing uh, more. And it is how you're going to uh, run a profitable business. Absolutely. And it's been such a crucial part of esports in many ways it is these fan mods that are creating the new esports genres that we know and love i played playing a lot of personal battlegrounds well that started as a mod to uh dota 2 dota auto chess uh same with everybody playing battle royales it started as a mod to day z why do you think it is that fan made mods seem to be the ones creating entirely new genres instead of maybe game developers doing it themselves. I think that, um, you know, I recently read a super cool book, Blood, Sweat and Pixels. Have you read that one? I have not. No, that sounds, sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. It talks about the evolution, developing uh, 10 popular games, for example, The Witcher or Diablo 3 and the process of uh, creating these games and then publishing them to consumers. And one of the things that come very clearly in this book is just the level of complexity of developing a game. I've never developed a game in my life, just a framework for apps around games or mods. But getting He's a game He's underselling right himself right there. Is really kind of... <laughs> he's under just a he's framework for right there. I mean, yeah, just a framework yeah. for a bunch of other people to create apps. Yeah, you know, That's I never all. created a game. I just created a framework <laughs> so everyone could create one. It's it's fine. It's nothing. Sorry, Yuri. I'm just not. I gotta be your hype man sometimes here. No, thank you. Um, but but when you do create a game, if you compare that to a traditional work of art like a a painting or um, a sculpture, the Complexity in a game is not just networking and performance, frames per second, ping, all that stuff, um, graphics. It's also gameplay. And it's also, you know, how the game feels and all those non-deterministic factors that are going to make the difference between the game being super successful to complete flop. And I think that especially with games that are pretty expensive to produce, even with today's modern tech, it's really, really tricky to get everything right. And when you have such a large audience of creators who are creating these mods and they figure out one of these problems, for example, playability, if we're talking about Battle Royale, just the, how the game plays, or if you're talking about Dota, then it creates validation for a game developer to really take that concept and make a AAA game out of it. And I think this is what we see in the case of League of Legends and Dota and the evolution of Battle Royale to Fortnite. And I think really it comes down to the type of validation that a game developer can get before working on a new title.
it, that's a really crucial part before you're going to invest resources into creating a game you have to have at least that metric of of proven success hey there's this mod that exists this many people are playing it we can polish it and make it a game that's you know like you mentioned they cost a lot of money it's hard to take the step and completely deviate off of something else to create a new genre that might totally flop and so having that mod first is, is like oh okay yeah. here we can go. i add we something to this. that though so I think there's, I think that's totally true, Yuri. The, but but if that was just all you needed, then you know people would be. I mean, Unity and Unreal have done a ton of work to make developing a game easier. Roblox makes building games easier. There's a part of it that's about the soul of the previous game and being a fan of that game and going and making it something new that you don't get through any of the other mechanisms to build a game. That makes modding, I think, something different. It, it is the same, but it's different, and it's because you're most likely, if you're modding a game, you're a fan of it. And so you're immersed in it and you're taking it and you're doing something to, to turn it into something else, right? To add to it. So it's one thing to have a really easy mixer, mixer set up to write your own music. It's another thing to sample music and then build something out of that sample. And I think the same thing happens with, with a mod versus you know just accessible game development tools. Interesting. That's a that's a really good point of just how these things develop and where they come from, the communities they come from. You think about mods and the people, not just the developer, the developer obviously loves that game so much, but the people playing it are playing this game so much that they're also looking for alternate modes inside the game they're already playing. And it gives you that core fan base, the people who are really passionate about your game that are then creating a mod and then playing that mod after it. Yep, and it's the same people also building Overwolf apps, right? You're, especially when you're talking about the Go Deep apps on different games. That's because that person's really passionate about that game. It's the same kind of passion that I think gets someone to build a mod of a game too. Absolutely, think, makes a lot of sense. Yuri, can you talk a yeah. little bit about the the difference between in-game apps and mods and how and what role they both play? Sure. So, I think in-game apps are uh, services which you build in HTML and JavaScript that coexist with the game with either a UI on top of the game or on a second screen or after the game and provide you a service that is a modernized version of what a website would give you. So gaming websites have existed ever since gaming started pretty much. And they were used to get information and to learn about the game, potentially track your progress if the game had APIs, et cetera, et cetera. Apps bring that into the game and make it uh, contextually relevant in real time with the flexibility of issuing JavaScript so that the creator can create whatever they want in the realm of the game. A mod actually modifies the game experience. So instead of having something that coexists with the game that works either on top of it or in a second screen, a mod would actually change assets in the game, potentially. So if you're looking at Skyrim mods or Minecraft mods, some mods like uh, Sky Factory is like a, an overall mod that completely changes the game, has almost no connections between uh, Minecraft and how that's played in survival mode, for example, to Sky Factory. So I think this is the essence of the main difference. But the common ground is that they're both created by the community. They're both independent from the studio, and they both contribute to gamers and the game development themselves. 
do you feel like game developers are pretty welcome to mods and to in-game apps, I feel like is a is a more natural fit where it's like, yeah, this bolsters the game experience. But mods, I could understand a game developer being a little touchy. You mentioned how, hey, let's make sure this is kosher with them uh, mm-hmm. before we dive too far into it. But we've also seen companies like Epic Games, for example, put a creative mode into Fortnite built in and then hold creative challenges on modes that fans created, like uh, the the run they did at the Fortnite World Cup where it was like a death run sort of deal. Do you feel like the game developers are pretty accepting to mods in their games or is it sort of a hit or miss deal? I think it really is a hit or miss and it depends on the game, uh, their culture and the type of game. So for example, open world games, you know, kind of like Skyrim, for example, really embrace and rely on mods for continuous adoption and engagement because a they created the tool to create mining so obviously they support it and b it makes a lot of sense in a game that's not competitive i think the other example of that could be a game like overwatch where the team feels like uh, everything around the experience pretty much needs to be controlled by them so that it doesn't affect the competitive integrity of the game. And this is an example to a game in which mods are less acceptable, including in-game apps. So it really is a hit or miss. And I think it depends on the genre, the game developer, the culture. But I do think the trend is for embracing community creation. I think we live in a world of creator economies, you know, transportation with Uber and Lyft and Fiverr, if you're talking about professional services and a lot of different segments in which um, creative economies thrive, I think it's starting to be more significant uh, in gaming. And, you know, everybody's looking at what Roblox has done in the past 15 years. And I think uh, it's very inspiring for a lot of studios and a lot of studios are thinking, hey, you know, there's a lot to benefit from embracing user generated content within our ecosystem. So, you know, what are the strategies to do that? It's interesting you mentioned Roblox. I just heard a stat recently, and I haven't fact-checked it, so if I'm wrong, I hope I'm not. But it was the stat was that 50% of males between the ages of 8 and 11 are playing either Minecraft or Roblox in the U.S. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was absolutely insanity. Yeah. Uh, And I'm curious if that's going to lead to this new age of where these people who are just creating, that's what they're doing. They're in game to create. That's what Minecraft is completely based upon. Are they, are we going to see a lot more creativity and game development and, and modes come out of that generation? The people who are nine years old and building things in video games already. I definitely think so. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the re- I mean, we, we uh, I, I mean, if you look at TikTok, right? What's TikTok? That's a stage in which I can present myself to the world, and I think modding is somewhat similar in that sense. And I think just the pace that everything changes right now, the fact that barriers are getting reduced and uh, creation is easier, and you know, Gen Zs are about creation, then. I think it's definitely going that route. There's definitely, a great Steve, quote. you seem to agree as well. What do you think? Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a great quote from Gabe Newell from like 2013 where he talks about our, 
our customers have defeated us. We, we can't compete against them. They produce better content than we do. <laughs> and, and I think that that's actually, um, uh, you know, every, you know, look, every game has its difference uh, in, in the mechanics around it. And certainly not every game or game company should embrace these things. But I will tell you, I think that the companies that will be the most successful will be the ones who embrace this. The, the, the trend towards user-generated content, the trend towards self-expression, um, um, the biggest games of the world are going to be much more like that. The biggest games of the world are also going to be much more like social networks, right? And it's a combination of the two because you need to be able to express yourself in a social network uh, that's really, you know, critical. And that's what you're seeing with Roblox. You see it uh, with Minecraft, the uh, creativity modes in Fortnite. Those things are all about tapping into that expression, that self-expression. And don't forget, it also offsets the content creation costs because, Building content for a live service is a massively expensive endeavor, and having your users uh, empowered to build content for you is always a better path to go financially. Interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. If you have them building things for you, then you can sort of pick and choose. You're like, oh, that's really good. Let's bring that person on integrate that into it or, or not. Instead of investing everything in a project that might work or might not, you have a little more control when it's the fans creating something. Well, also, you you know, most of these uh, uh, services are going to have a marketplace built into them. So I don't know that you're going to have uh, the uh, platform owner, if you will, or the uh, the game owner picking winners and losers. I think the consumers will pick. But but I do think that uh, they're building a framework <clears throat> that enhances uh, the, the creative capability of all these people. It's like, you know, bicycles for people's creativity. You can go a hell of a lot faster with a lot less energy on a bicycle than you can on your feet. And essentially what uh, Roblox and all these other uh, companies have done is built that bicycle and put it right in front of the kid to go, you know, see what they're going to do. It's a good analogy. I like that one. Yuri, is that something that, is that how you would describe the company as well? Is that a pretty apt, uh, apt description? So, so I think um, what I would say is that they're not building it for you. They're building it for themselves. Um, like as a game developer, you could think that they're building it for you, but they're not. They're building it for themselves inside your ecosystem. And then you get to benefit because it's inside your ecosystem, but what guarantees quality eventually is the fact that they're building it for themselves. So I don't know if this answers your question, but I think it's a important distinction as to how these creators are looking at their creations. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I mean, they have to be passionate and they have to want to mm -hmm. make that thing and they're going to make it better because they're passionate and because they want to make it. Um, that, that's a critical part of it. And you're tapping into that passion. But keep in mind, the moment that person puts that passion into a, a building an app and you're in your on your platform, that makes the, your platform that much stickier. They're not just going back to a game they played; they're going to back to something they made. Definitely, it's uh, yeah, having that stuff and those those communities too. When you start using those apps, when you start falling into the mods, the downloading the training packs on Steam, that's like a level of community as well. Where you're like, oh, that's my favorite creator oh i love their training packs like i'm gonna go do aerial training in rocket league right now mm -hmm. because they always create really interesting ones or they create these custom maps that i want to do like a, a pro lethemer in uh 
in Rocket League creates these really awesome custom maps. And to me, that always felt like a natural step deeper into a game's ecosystem is, okay, now I'm going to go seek out some other modes, some fan-created modes. And it always endears me to the community a little bit more when I do that in different games. Awesome. Well, I want to wrap up this show here soon. I know it's getting a little late for you, Yuri, but <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is uh, tournaments. I, I can't have somebody from Intel on and not mention, I know it's not your necessarily your area of expertise, but IEM is one of the biggest esports tournaments we have. And what, Steve, from your perspective, what are these in-game apps, what benefit can they provide on the broadcast front? Uh, whether that's providing more stats, providing cool overlays, I feel like there's some awesome opportunities for expansion on that side. And I'm sure there's some stuff on Overwolf with that at its core. Uh, on the tournament side, what do you think in-game apps and these third-party apps can bring? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think, uh, so <clears throat> Yuri could talk about the apps that are on the platform already, on Overwolf already. I think there are m multiple ones that kind of uh, work with uh, or have tournament structures built into them. But I think, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, the big leagues, that's one part of competitive play. And then you have to think about, okay, how do you then go democratize that and make it more accessible to everybody? And I think for sure that's the entry point, at least in my opinion, for the overlay apps and kind of matchmaking apps in general is that it helps bring community together in a digital way that you don't have to have all of the overhead associated with, uh, you know, a league structure, if you will. Um, you know, if you think about where competitive gaming started, right, it started in the basement of a Holiday Inn, people doing land fests and bringing all their PCs into the in, into the basement and getting together to play against each other. The ability to take that and turn it digital, I think, is a really, really powerful thing. And I think that that's where the kind of market is for overlay apps, in my opinion, at least uh, where you really have lots of consumers out there, because that's something that a lot of people would like to do, but they physically can't do today uh, because of COVID-19. And even in the past, it, still, it was a lot of work to go do. I don't know, Yuri, what are your thoughts? So I think a couple of things. Um, first, democratizing tournaments is really interesting. So think about, you know, Intel Extreme Masters for Extreme Masters, for pros, but Intel Community Masters for those aspiring pros. Right now, if I want to participate as a CSGO gamer in IEM, it's not something feasible, but if there was an app I could download and then participate, it would track my stats, see how I'm doing. Maybe it would put me in the <laughs> the category of gamers with you know not enough amount of hours, not enough amount of sleep, and too many kids. Um, I would get an opportunity to get to the top of the ladder at least uh, with uh, you know people who are my level. So I think that this is the first opportunity. It's really democratizing these tournaments. The second piece is more technological. And if an app, for example, is installed on the machine that a competitor is using during a tournament, it could provide even more insights than you currently have as to what's happening in the game stats and therefore make the broadcast more interesting. So I think how, if I would have to pick, it's probably these two angles are the ones that are the most interesting for me. Definitely. I wonder when we get to the point where esports organizations are bringing on developers to try and create things like, like you look at something like a Hearth Arena or something that absolutely impacts your game. 
Uh, Arena is not really a mode that people play competitively besides like Twitch rivals, but that's the kind of thing where it's like an esports organization might be able to create these things to get a competitive advantage if they really zeroed in on it and wanted to do it. Uh, not sure if that's been a thing that's happened. I know they have analysts out there creating stuff, but I'm not sure if they have developers. Uh, just not sure if esports has reached that point yet, but interesting thing to think about for the future. So we're going to wrap up the show here. Uh, Yuri, first with you, what do you want people looking out for following uh, plug overall for me? Sure. So it really depends on the game that you play. So, so I feel like uh, if you're a fan of esports or competitive gaming, just go to Overwolf, pick the game that you're playing, and just try out an app that um, could fit the game that you're playing. I think that would be it. Absolutely. And Steve, I'm sure everybody knows of Intel, but what do you want people looking out for on the Intel front going forward? Oh, well, for me, it's, uh, you know, we have a, our website, game.intel.com. So that's a place where people can go to find cool and interesting games. Uh, we do a lot of giveaways, a lot of prizes, a lot of uh, news that we uh, uh, put there. So it's really about connecting consumers to great games. And uh, I would love to see more people going there. And uh, that's going to be you know where we launch our app from as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Check out Intel, check out Overwolf. If you're not using Overwolf's app, it's a great place to start. If you're playing a game, you've got 200 hours in it, but you want to do more, uh, search for it on Overwolf and you'll probably find some sort of tool that can help your experience. And then also check out Intel, one of the companies that has pushed esports forward for so, so long and really helped create the gaming and esports ecosystem we have today. So thank you all for listening to this episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I was your host, Mitch Dreams, and I'll be back soon with another episode.